Luke chapter 6 from verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told in this parable, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick up figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And Father, we just bring our hearts before you this morning. Because our hearts are that place where truth is found. At the end of the day, what is in our hearts is what is most clearly who we are. And you have come to be Lord of our hearts. You have come to take our hearts that are broken, that are wounded, that are infested and to change them. And we pray that you will do that this morning increasingly for each of us. That you will walk into that part of our heart that you're wanting to touch this morning and change it. That we might be soft and open and full of your light. And Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can do that. And so we invite you to do a miracle in each of our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're thinking a little bit uh, in these days about Joshua coming into the promised land and we've been on this theme before and it's, there's a, I'm actually getting increasingly passionate about it. And the reason I'm getting increasingly passionate about it is because it just speaks so powerfully, certainly to me, about what God, excuse me, what God is wanting to do and what God is doing, what He has done. And He gives these templates that actually are models for us of how he works in Jesus. You read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. When you read the Old Testament, uh, you're reading commands and laws. You're reading about what God is saying he would like to see happen amongst his people. When Jesus comes into the world, God comes into his people to change them from the inside out because the behavior modification was inadequate. So when you read the Old Testament, you don't read the Old Testament as if the New Testament doesn't exist. You read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And so it's like you're handling a a, a pair of binoculars. When you look through the, the wrong side, everything looks far away. That's what the Old Testament is like. You turn them around, you look through the, the, the proper lenses and it brings everything close. And that's what the New Testament, that's what Jesus did. He brings God, Jesus, close. The Old Testament is about keeping my commands and the New Testament is about do you love me? The New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old and now God, every time He he approaches us, He never approaches us and says, I don't like what you've done, even if He doesn't. There's one very simple phrase and it's always, do you love me? Do you love me? And when this church was birthed two and a half years ago, before it was birthed here, it was birthed out of a year of waiting upon God, there was one phrase that surprised me and came into my spirit very, very strongly and it was, you can either be a church that breaks bread in Egypt or you can be a church that breaks bread in the promised land. And we're going to talk and keep talking about this because it's a template of what I believe God invites us into. And it's all about what we are willing to journey, how we're willing to journey. Trusting God in the big picture of life is what we've been talking about. 
and understanding that this journey is one we're all invited to, to participate in. It's a mixture of a, an individual journey and a corporate journey. We have in the Old Testament the, the, the Garden of Eden and the prison of Egypt. Eden is what God's intention was for human beings. Eden was the place where God walked with, the pe- with Adam and Eve in the garden in absolute beauty and said, there's one rule, don't eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, which is about trying to get power, trying to get control. won't go into all of that now, other than that they disobeyed and they ended up out of Eden. And the logical conclusion of people taking power on themselves and rebelling against God is Egypt. Political systems where the strongest one dominates and the others will serve. And that's what we see in our world right now. It's always been that way. Human beings exploiting each other for their own individual gain. That is the nature of rebellion. It's the nature of political systems. And no political system in the world has ever existed for very long before corruption has twisted it into something else. Even, praise God, or I mean, pray God, dearly beloved Barack Obama, the saviour of the world. No one can live above corruption. No one can live above the twistedness of human nature. History proves that again and again. And so we, we're caught in this place and so we have Egypt which is symbolic in the Bible of captivity and of imprisonment with Pharaoh as being the one who is in charge and God's people as slaves. Here is Egypt, this black part here is the desert and over here is the promised land. And as we thought about last week, in the, in, when God came in uh, through Moses, he sent Moses into that place of imprisonment. And he said to Pharaoh, who is symbolic of the devil, who captures people, he says, let my people go. And he says, no way. And so he sends plagues to demonstrate his power. Moses is an insecure old man who stutters and says, I don't want to go. And God says, you will go and I will empower you. And we see God empowering him. And we see God using him powerfully. And eventually he comes to Pharaoh. And the final time Pharaoh says, the firstborn will die. Unless a lamb is killed and the blood of that lamb is put on the door frames of your houses and you go through that blood into the house, you will not be saved. And we have the history of the Passover where the angel of death passes over and every firstborn that isn't in a house with the door frame covered with the blood of a lamb is killed. Not because God wanted to kill. He merely saying, this is the consequence of your disobedience. And if you think this is bad, you have no idea what I could do to you. It's gracious. But because of his love, he says, this is the only way I'm going to be able to set my people free free through blood, through sacrifice, through sin being dealt with by human life, dying. We don't have time to go through that whole theology, but most of you have some idea of what we're talking about, right? Right. So, it's about being set free. It's corporate and it's individual. What does that mean? It means that every human being who came out of Egypt had to go through the blood of the Lamb door. They had to stay inside. They had to obey. They couldn't do it for somebody else. It had to be, you do it. And we do it. But nobody do it, can do it for you. You can't go and play golf while the angel of death is passing over and say, well, my husband or wife is in the house. They're doing it for me. doesn't work. You're dead. It was about God saying, every human being is called to follow me. I set every human being free But they have to enter into that. And so Egypt is that place of slavery and Egypt is the place where the blood of the Lamb was painted over the doorframe to to foretell of the day when Jesus would be on a cross in Jerusalem and the blood of the Lamb as a human being would be shed. And he said, anybody who wants to know the living God and be reconciled with the Father, come to me through Jesus. That was the door. I am the way, the truth and the life. That No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't think any of those boat people, anyone who survived that boat, who was, sta- who was standing here now, and I said to them, um, are you free now? 
would go, I'm not sure. Everyone would testify, I got in a boat and I went across sea and now I'm free from where I was trying to get from. Every human being who Jesus died for and is called by God knows that they are free and called by God. One of the great sins and one of the great problems in the church is fudginess that goes, I'm not sure. And God, when He called His people out of Egypt, said, I want you to come out of Egypt and you're going to know that you're out of Egypt and you're going to know where the promised land is and I'm inviting you on a journey with me. Religion stops at the doorframe in Egypt and builds a church and celebrates the day that God visited Egypt and set his people free from Pharaoh and the irony is they never are free and they live under Pharaoh and they make a monument to that day. But there is no journey and there is no movement. And one of the things God's been speaking to us this week in our prayer and fasting, I believe, is one, a couple of things. One is how much He wants to engage our hearts. How much His love is offered to our hearts. But our hearts are that place where He goes, do you love me? I'm not asking you all the time what you think. I'm asking you, what is your relationship? Because the heart is the place you can't hide. The heart is truth. What is in our hearts overflows out of our mouths. What is in our hearts is what defines our lives. What is in our hearts is who we are. So whatever rises up in our hearts is either negative, evil, attacking, or it's the Spirit of God affirming. The Spirit of God will always affirm His love, but He will not override the will. And so the will, God's always saying, come, follow me, go, walk. Whether we do or not is up to us. And so there was this power of God poured out in Egypt and then he said, I've set you free in order for you to move out of Egypt into the inheritance that is mine for you. But you're going to have to go through this time of testing and that's going to be the desert and the wilderness. Walk into your inheritance. What was their hardest, biggest battle? We touched on it last week. Be lots of repetition. The biggest battle is if you're a slave, if you're a victim, if you live under the blame of every, you blame everybody else for life, and I speak with a lot of experience, you're never responsible. The irony is that slavery is freedom for many because they don't have to take any responsibility. I can live like a victim and always dream of what it would be like to be free but never have the courage to go for it. That's why in abuse courses one of the hardest moments is to say, so how long do you want to be a victim? And for the first time in people's lives they look at you blankly and go, well of course I don't and then they stop and they go, I'm so used to being a victim. I'm so used to defining myself by my abuse. I have not a clue how to not be there. Which is fine. Just acknowledging it is the beginning of freedom. So the hardest thing for the people of Israel was not getting into the, into the house and having the blood cover them and, and, and surviving the night of the Passover. The hardest thing was walking out of slavery and taking responsibility for their lives. And for many of them they couldn't do it. The older generation couldn't do it. And we talked last week about how Joshua was part of that group who God was beginning to prepare Joshua to lead his people into their inheritance. And he led them across to, well Moses led across to the border of the Promised Land very, very quickly. And they, and they all witnessed how God opened the Red Sea, how He provided them with food, how He provided in many ways for them. But when it came to the entering into the Promised Land, there are reports that there were giants there and milk and honey, they chose the giants to determine their future and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. A 
I wonder where we are. See, our lives are also the promised land where God himself is wanting to enter more fully into our own lives. So Jesus, I might have said, Jesus, I come to your cross and I ask you to forgive me. And he says, yes, absolutely. I'm so thrilled. And we stay, and, and he's locked in Egypt, in us. And he can't get any possession into the rest of our lives. And so we live these defeated lives or we live these lives where we never really demonstrate joy or life or hope or purpose or victory or very much, do we? We sort of survive. And that's not God's vision for you or me at all. See, Bill unwittingly stood up and said, thank you, it's hard to be a father when you see your child sick, you want to change their place. Absolutely. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus took the place. I mean, if we were all Sarah and Sarah had meningitis and Sarah was going to die and being and Bill becomes Sarah so Sarah doesn't die but Sarah can live and Bill takes her death and then the third day he rises from the dead. That's the, that's the gospel. God saw his dearly beloved children which is you and me and you can't intellectualize that. That becomes a heart thing. And until we know the heart of God for us, everything else doesn't work. Until we know the love of God touching us in Egypt, we'll never walk to the promised land. But God's love was such that he said, I see and I hear your cry and I call you into my heart and my life. And they wandered through the the, the wilderness together. And that's a journey that really struck me as I was reflecting on this. It was a journey that is, I would describe as tents and tribes. Intents with tribes. They were continually moving. Everybody belonged in community. And we, we even read when, when, when Moses went to the tent of meeting, everybody stood and watched. Do you know what destroys us in our culture is we don't live in tents and tribes. We live in, live in, live in caves as individuals. We hide. Enormous amount of hiding in our culture that's meant to be so open and communicative. Incredible amount of ducking and diving we do. Don't we? We hide in our homes. We say it's private and personal. We say God works with everybody in a different way. We say, that well, that might be your opinion. Or that might be your interpretation. Or you don't know what that person did to me. That's why I'm here. If they hadn't done that, I would be with you. But that's why I'm here. And so we stay in Egypt. Or Egypt stays in us. And the power of God to bring about change isn't able to happen. God's whole work with every human being is one of movement. It's always movement. Follow me, said Jesus. Follow me, said Moses. Follow me, said Joshua. It's always movement. It's never static. Nothing in the scriptures ever talks about sitting in a chair and following God. And in fact, one guy did that. His name was Eli. He was a priest. And he sat in the chair while God was working and he fell over backwards and was killed. Because he shouldn't have been sitting down. So Jesus desires to lead us into places of inheritance and places where we know the power of God. And Joshua was the one who led them, was called to lead them. And Joshua's, as we spoke last week, Joshua's training was learning God's presence, learning God's power for himself. So that when it came to the test of go into that promised land, explore it, come back and inspire the others to follow you. That's what the, the mission was for ten or twelve of their leaders. Ten of the leaders came back and said, Oh, it's not a bad place, but they're big giants and we feel like grasshoppers. They didn't inspire, they postponed and they never entered. 
What came out of their heart was fear, defeat, and insecurity, low self-esteem, and unbelief. God had led them out of Egypt, but the further they got into responsibility and adventure with God, the more they looked back and said, I wish we hadn't left. Do you resonate with any of these experiences in your own life? Why did I start this? What am I doing here? You might be thinking this morning. But God's called us to be built into an army, not a bunch of babies. He's called us to actually grow up, not whine and complain all our lives, because we'll be just stuck in Egypt. It's easy to tell who's in Egypt, isn't it? It's easy to tell how much of Egypt is in us. You can hear the chains clanging, you can hear the accusations, you can hear the whips, you can hear the oppression, you can hear the violence, you can hear the slavery. It's easy to hear the voice of slavery. It's easy to hear the voice of oppression. It's easy to hear the cries of prisoners, isn't it? It often comes out angry. See, out of the heart, our mouth speaks. And it's easy to get to the heart with us, with each other, isn't it? How do you get to the heart with each other? You just have a conversation. And then you bump a little bit to see what else is in there. It's easy to see what's in the heart. And you can't fake the heart. You can do it for a while. You can go, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Fine. Well, everybody's fine. Yes. Push in a little bit. Do you you want to know what God's probably saying to you right now? Just listen to what's rising in your heart. Just listen to what's rising in your heart. That'll be the Holy... Just ask God's Spirit. Just say, Lord, speak to me. Whatever's rising in your heart is stuff that He's bringing to your attention. Much of it can be, I love you, you know. Don't be afraid. All that stuff. But that is where truth lies and that's where God's Spirit speaks. And it's also where Satan digs his claws in and... If I'm provoking you to anything that's negative, Satan will take that and and bring it into one of those big shadows. And it'll get really personal and you'll be saying things about me. And you'll be going, why don't you shut up? Why don't you do the... Just know your heart. Know the way God speaks. Know the way the Spirit works. That's how it works. But the the God of love in Jesus is wanting to set us free to go into that promised land. And you take territory by acknowledging the giants but feeding on the milk and honey. And so Joshua was on the the border of of the promised land and God says to him, I'm about to get... I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. And he goes out and he describes the territory. That's a huge territory in that place. And it's a good territory. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what happens if we each stood here and Jesus was standing next to us? He says, I want to show you the life that I have for you. None of us would have a dry eye. None of us would believe it. None of us would go, is that all? All of us would would be stunned. Could it be so beyond what we anticipated? We would go, this is for me? He says, yeah. It's what I give my kids. I love you. There's a big mansion and you can be part of that and then there's all of this and then this is where you fit in. Wow. You mean I don't have to die to get there? No, no, I died so you could be there before you died. Your death is just knowing that you were part of my picture, I'm not part of yours. What happens? There are lots of people who stay in Egypt and talk about the view when we die. There's a condition. 
And he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. In other words, if you don't walk into what I have given you, you will not possess it. What is God leading you into today? What is the vision for the life that he has given you, that you have today? Nobody else can give you that vision. You can get it with the company of others, but in the end of the day, what is the vision that God has? Do you know what it is? You can ask him, he'll give it to you. But how can you go forward if you have no idea what it is or what it looks like? We, we live in a culture where we make plans and money is the greatest security of everything. But we never know what will happen. So we have to find life that is not contingent on circumstances. And God gives us the opportunity to say, well, with me, you can know life and security that is independent of your bank manager. And praise God, that would be good, right? Right. What would it happen if that was my greater trust? One of the fears I have is that I'm not going to have enough. One of my fears I have is that I'm not going to be healthy. One of the fears I have is that my relationship won't last. One of the fears I have is something will happen to somebody I love. And what happens if Jesus stands next to us this morning and says, yeah, that's a reality. Is it going to define your life or is it just going to be shared with me? Are you going to live your life in fear of the giants? Or are you going to live your life feeding on the milk and honey that is the gift of God to equip you for whatever circumstances arise as they do arise? God has called us to be a church that is on a journey, that is moving. And he says, this is your territory. You can have every part of it that you step into. Individually and corporately. So he says there's a principle here which is obey, walk, where I direct and inherit and I will fight the battles. That sounds a cool deal to me. You walk, I'll give you the land, you walk into it and I'll look after the battles. What's the catch? You've got to step out. And you've got to live with this, what happens if you don't protect me? Well, you'll never know until you do it, will you? So why does he say to Joshua? He says, he, he says something to Joshua, pretty profound, which he says to you and me. He says, nobody will be able to stand up against you. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then he says a number of times, he says, be strong. Be courageous. Do not be terrified or discouraged. Why would he say that? Because again, he knows there are times where Joshua is going to feel weak. And he's going to need to know that the Lord is his strength. He, he says, don't be terrified. Why? Because he knows there are times when Joshua is going to be terrified. He's going to know that God is faithful and strong. He says, don't be discouraged. Why? Because there are going to be times when inheriting this promised land, this gift of God, he's going to be discouraged. And he needs to know that God is his courage. You see, walking into the will of God is not without fear, trepidation and discouragement. Pressing through is what brings the victory. That's why we prayed and fasted this week. Do you, do you, do you know what a challenge it is for me to stand here saying some of this stuff? Because I know you all pretty well. I'm trying to speak what I see as the truth coming out of God's word and then the, le the rest is up to him. I'm speaking to myself. It's what he's spoken to me about.
And he says finally, before we finish, do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will prosper and succeed. Meditate on this book and do not let it depart from your mouth. You know what it's saying there really simply I'm going to use short, shorthand here is he's saying as you get to know the word of God and apply it speak about it. He says earlier on in Deuteronomy he says speak about it day and night all the time in your families everywhere. And he's really saying there the more you speak about how God works in your life and how he has the more you will see power released among you. What does that mean? That means if I stand here today, and I, I'm not going to bore you with this. It's not a boring, actually. It, it can get me quite worked up. If I, if, if I stand here and recount to you how God graciously took hold of my life and over the last three and a half years restored me into some place I never thought I would ever be. And how God opened the door and how he led the way into stuff. And there was conflict, as you know. And, and how God... Even a year ago, I wouldn't know I'd be here and I wouldn't know, you know, I'd be married to Cheryl and I wouldn't know stuff. And it's kind of easy to say, oh yeah, that's cute for you. But it's not cute to live. It's an adventure and there's scary parts as well. But if I gave you the testimony of how God has been faithful, things rise up in my spirit and I get bolder and stronger and go, let's believe him for more. Because he has been faithful for this. I know where I was and I know where I am and I go, God, you are gracious. Because I don't want to live where I lived, which was blaming everything, God included, for my predicament. I lived there for seven, eight years and I repeat that because it's so real. I know what it's like to live as a slave. And there is nothing there that is fruitful. There is nothing there that brings life. There is nothing there that brings joy. And all the people I blame get on with their merry lives. I'm the one who's miserable. And eventually I have to say, Lord, touch my heart. Forgive me. Even if I never hear words of forgiveness or repentance from the other people who I think should. It doesn't matter. I'm going to set myself free from that. I'm going to enter into what you have done for me. And so I speak of a testimony of God touching my heart and beginning to move in my heart to bring joy and freedom to a place that had got really, really lost. And there are many others in this world like that. And you go, unless God does it, there is nothing. The problem is, in the Christian community, is we feed too often of old testimonies in Egypt. And our testimonies are of when God set me free and half the church only talks about when Jesus set me free from sin and I used to be a drug addict and now I'm not and that's the only testimony I have. Which is as exciting as saying, you know, one day two people got together, they conceived and I was born. Praise God for the gift of life. And somebody says, did anything happen since you were born? What is going to release the presence of God among his people and into the community is what is God doing now in your heart and life? And let's talk of that. And let's boast about him. And boast about what he has done and what he is doing. And God's promises, if you guys want to take the promised land, keep my, meditate on my word and boast about my faithfulness and see what happens. You will rise up and the giants will become dwarfs and you will be filled with milk and honey and you will take ground and your feet will possess the land that is in your, your inheritance. It's an individual and corporate adventure. The way we strengthen the corporate is individually to encourage one another and say, do you love Jesus? How is the love of Jesus working in your life today? Not to, not to 
not to um, crush you, but to draw it out. Because we can often see in each other what we can't see ourselves. In the Revelation, book of Reve- I'm finishing with this, but the book of Revelation in chapter 23, there's a little phrase that says the testament, the, the testament of Jesus is God's prophetic word. Something like that. In other words, every time we speak about what, is, what God has done in our lives, God is also saying, I didn't just do it for John, that is a prophetic word, I can do that for anybody else, if you would rise up and step into that. So, out of the last week, is anybody who wants to say anything before we finish? I'm going to offer the opportunity for one or two testimonies. This is totally unrehearsed, nobody might say anything. And that's fine. But I do want to just offer the opportunity of, of saying, what is God doing among us? Is he doing anything that somebody would testify to? The two realities that go on when, you, when this happens, it's that you go, oh my word. And you start pounding inside. If it's pounding inside, it's probably God saying, it might be you. But it's because he says, I also want to bless other people. All you're doing is standing up and you're giving two realities. The one reality is, I have a need. And the other reality is, God is faithful. That's all it is. It's wonderful. And boasting about what God does in the real world in my life is thrilling. So one of the things we're praying for and asking God to do is release us to enjoy giving testimonies to what he is doing because in the releasing of that he's going to bless other people and he's going to draw them into more than they have right now. So it's like a visual aid, isn't it? So let's be uh, still for 30 seconds and if anybody has something they can come up otherwise I will close in prayer. And you can come and tell me afterwards what you were going to do. <laughs> There's no threat in this, alright? Please don't, don't get this into something twisted and negative. But it is important, and I, do, and, I, and I have made a commitment to the Lord. I'm going to be providing opportunity for response. We're going to speak for response. We're going to speak for engagement. That is part of what God has, I believe, laid on my heart. He, he wants to see change and movement among us. So Father, we just pray for that uh, spirit of engagement as you come before each one of us, as you did to Peter and said, you love me. As you come before each one of us and said, you know how much I love you. You come before each of us and say, don't be afraid. And you speak to us this morning and say, whatever it is that's rising up right now, bring it to me. Don't argue with yourself. And don't brush it aside. If you want to know me, the living God, listen to my voice in your heart right now and respond to it. Respond to it in the way that you're going to walk or whatever you're going to do. But do something. That's part of the journey. The one thing God didn't give his people, he didn't say, I'd like you all to get around and and spend time critiquing Moses' leadership and critiquing Joshua and critiquing how I did the Egypt freedom thing and critiquing how you're feeling about being in the wilderness. He said, I'm not giving you that option. Walk, take responsibility, respond. There is an enormously exciting inheritance ahead of you. Lord, if you want uh, others to speak, I just pray that you bring them up. And uh, this is unrehearsed. So as, as these who stand here sort of risk speaking, then uh, feel free. Um. I guess this week and, well, last year, um, what God's been saying to me is that um, I'm worthy. Um, I, I have got things to say. I have got, um, I'm important and I need to speak out and use my voice. 
Um, it's a terrifying thing to do, but I have been. Um, and that he loves me. And um, I have something else, but I can't remember. <laughs> and to trust. And if if things go go wrong, to speak it out. And if you bring it, if you if you speak it out into the open, then it's out there, and God can heal it. But if you keep it inside, it just festers and gets worse. So that's what I've learned. Thank you. Not too sure what I'm going to say. Um, I started a whole gambit. The beginning of the week I went and I was just furious and really down and a whole bunch of stuff was coming up. Things that happened 30, 40 years ago even. Um, so it was really hard and then I had to um, just receive and let God take it from me. And when I did say, here God, I don't want this garbage, it's not of you. Um, it was gone and it was incredible because I, I kept taking ownership of it and I came to the realization that the enemy didn't want me there. He didn't want me there. So he was um, attacking me spiritually and it was really hard. Um, so that was a real big lesson of saying, okay God, I give it to you and Satan get out of here. So I went from that to a real joy and I think Wednesday um, night, Wednesday afternoon, just a, such a presence um, overwhelming, I can't even explain a presence of love, of God's love. It, um, just right in my gut. It was a real heavy, exciting, joyful time. And so, and, and even a time where Cheryl and I fell on the couch laughing. It, you know, so it was, a, it was a very powerful week of feeling God move and talk to each one of us. And um, I'm just really thankful for it. Anybody else before we uh, move down? I used to be embarrassed when people did this. Anybody else and wait, but I'm learning that it's maybe helpful. John? It it occurred to me that um, if one couldn't get up and say something, one would have to say, well, I wasted a week. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate to think that. Particularly because it was, it was a productive week anyway. And as I said at the time, um, I've been sort of paddling along as a Christian for umpteen years. And um, uh, Jesus hadn't really been a very significant, a significant part, perhaps, of my life. And, and um, the realization came over, the week, over that week that, um, yeah, it should be a, better, a larger part of my life. And... Uh, and that's the way it's going to go, and uh, that's what we can accomplish for me. That's very cool. Thank you so much. Do I need this? Okay, thank you. Come stand next to me. Wynne is here. She's had an operation, so she can't speak. So I'm going to speak what she's written. I had a picture last week. The picture of manna joining together to form one mass and John's picture of a snowflake landing on his roof and the corporate snow tearing the gutters off his house speaks into the mystery of individual and corporate. It is a big mystery. The individual and the individuals join together into one entity. That's the challenge for the church. Thank you very much. That's that's the, the whole message of how we're stronger when we're together. Steve. I, uh, I don't claim to be a religious man, and uh, I certainly don't claim to be a public speaker, but um, I have been praying the last few weeks, and, and God, I believe, has answered some prayers for me this week. Um, he's found me some employment that I've really needed, and given me a lot of support uh, through myself and through people family and friends around me. So today I stand here and, and thank him personally for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. See, God is wanting to speak to our hearts and our hearts 
often are not as mature as our heads, which is cool. And even stepping out in these ways, I mean, they mean so much more than just what somebody's doing. I was keeping you waiting for fun. But uh, it's an encouragement, and that's why stuttering and, and articulate doesn't matter. It's just bearing witness to something, because someone else here will be encouraged. Marissa, this is my mom Karen, and um, well, for the last two years I've had up and down roller coaster with struggling with reaching God, and me and my mom have had a lot of struggles, and just, I met this woman, she's very religious, and she reintroduced me to God and made me realize how I can't fight my battle on my own. I have to have someone that can take it off my shoulders, mm-hmm. that can help me be strong, help me through my problems, and help me and my mom through our problems. And that, and I've realized when I, when I let the Lord, the Savior, just come mm-hmm. into my heart, and all that, it makes the whole world go off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I may only be 15, but... I think like a 25 year old I feel like everything can just fall apart in my hands but I realize that if I let the Lord come into my heart he'll always walk by me up the hills and down the hills he'll always take my garbage and he'll replace my words with his and he'll just always be by my side thank you don't want to stop now I'm not worrying about the time anymore that's too bad Um, most of you know but in case some of you don't um, I have a large tumor at the base of my spine uh, it's not cancerous, but um, because it's positioned, the doctors can't really remove it. So there's been quite a lot of chronic pain there. Um, there's been so many miracles involved with it already, it's amazing. But um, I do usually go over to Vancouver Hospital about every three months and I have a pain injection. Well, I was due for one just before Christmas, and I was so excited about Christmas, I didn't want to think about it. So, of course, the pain comes back and it gets rather nasty because um, I kept putting it off. Um, so, when it came to last Monday morning, I was feeling pretty uncomfortable. And um, part of the pain, too, is it makes you pretty limp, so you sort of can't do much. Well, I was, one of the things, of course, we usually do when we meet is we worship. And I love worshiping, but I was having such a struggle because it seemed like the, uh, the pain had taken over my brain. I couldn't focus on worship, but as we kept going, there just seemed to be a real breakthrough. And, um, and it continued through the week. Uh, at one point, the Lord sort of just... <laughs> showed me that um, this had stolen some of my joy and and he gave me joy back and by the end of the week um, the pain is still there but what it's doing to my my head and to my emotions was just broken right through and this morning when we were worshiping, I found myself trying to dance with it, which is amazing because <laughs> that doesn't help with the pain, but there was just such a breakthrough that I could do that. And even though the pain is still there, I'm still I'm very aware of the Lord's promise to me that one day that pain is going to be gone and it doesn't matter what the doctors are saying. Thank you. Thank you. God has a testimony for each of us for every week, for every day of just an invitation so one of the things we can say to the Lord is Lord I don't know what I would stand up and say today 
And his response is, well, I'll give you something if you want. Next week, they're going to do the same thing. So let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you are the living God, that you are a God who has touched each of our lives, whether we know it or not. You are a God who invites each of us today to continue to walk with you. That you stand with us today and you say, let's just stop right where we are in your life and let's look at the view. And let's consider the direction you're going and who's leading who. If you're leading me into your future, I'm not coming with you. I'll wait here. But if you'll hang with me and come into the future I have for you, you'll be astounded what you find. And Jesus, we pray for those of us who are very aware of the giants. And we pray death to the giants in our lives. We pray that you will uh, give us a faith that rises above the giants and trusts you, even though we don't see a way ahead. May we know that it's your company that keeps us safe, not our understanding. Pray for those of us, Lord, who still have lots of Egypt caught up in our lives, our hearts, our minds. And we pray that today, as we come and break bread together, you will break the shackles of that bondage, that you will set us free from stuff we're still carrying as mementos of our slavery. And we pray, Jesus, that we would enter into the promised land in a new way this morning. Lord, only your spirit at work can do that. So we pray that you give us ears to listen to you in our hearts and to not hold on to anything that is dark or negative, but to allow you to kill it at the cross so that we might walk free. May your Holy Spirit take these words we've heard from one another and will you continue uh, to lead us into the fullness of life that we would say we love God with all our hearts and we would also demonstrate that to one another with grace and mercy and patience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.